Good evening. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I've been looking forward to coming over. Uh, we thought for a while the snow might be too deep again, but it looks like that storm holding off for a while. When Eric asked me if I would come over to do some teaching on, I think he called it child training, uh, raising a family, that's a subject that has always been very dear to my heart for the last 15 to 20 years anyway. It's definitely not a subject that we know everything there is to know about it. It seems like it's something you learn as you go. I'm also hopeful that we can learn from each other. Um, it's a bit of an emotional subject for me, uh, more than maybe for some. Having put a lot of energy into our own family, and probably like some of you, you think you're doing a really good job until so they get to like their 12, 13, 15 years old, and then you're really tested in what your groundwork that you've laid for your children. I know for us, when our oldest son turned 14 to 15, we ran into some difficulties that were very unexpected. When he was 16 and 17, we almost lost him spiritually. One of his best friends from church is in prison with 67 years hanging over him. And it got me to kind of rethinking and just asking the Lord, what are some of the basic foundations that need to be in place so that our children can have a true understanding of Jesus Christ? I'm just going to tell you up front, without knowing what you're thinking, tonight's not going to be what you're thinking. But Eric asked me to teach on child training. I said, I'm at the point that it's hard for me to teach on some of the practical things unless you understand the relationship. Having, in my growing up years in the Beachy Church, watched some families turn out well, some families not so well, watching ministers' children struggle in particular, and some of the missionaries' children, some did well, some did not do so well. And, and I started realizing there's more than just teaching our children Bible verses, teaching them about Jesus. For example, uh, our friend who's in prison with the six to seven years for murder won the Virginia reward in the Iwana class for quoting memorizing the most Bible verses of anyone in the Virginia Iwana class of that year. And things like that start to help them understand that there's, it's like it's a little more complex maybe than what we grew up thinking it was. Uh, and I've, I'm one that believes that, and I apologize to the young families, but I think it's becoming more complex instead of less. In this day and age of technology, social media, and internet access, and communication, in my opinion, has completely changed the way we have to raise our children. Uh, because for several thousand years, there was just basic life that seemed to turn out reasonable citizens. And 
it's like it's not working as predictably as what it used to. You know, if you lived on a farm, you worked as a family, there were some good, solid principles that were implanted in that. Um, I want to welcome the ones from our home fellowship. Ben and Eva S. joined us tonight. Our friend Jalen Hertzberger is with us for a week while his mom and dad are traveling. We have three of our children here. Um, we have we have six children, personally. Our oldest one is 30. Our youngest one is 18. If you call him the baby, he'll probably take you down and sit on you. We've had Christy for 21 years, Ryan for 18, and Hannah for about three. Uh, she's been with us. Uh, first came when she was 15 years old, and she just turned 20 years old. She's been with us permanently now for several years. I know there's some here that have a maybe a more systematic education than what I do. But as I was thinking about my qualifications, I did come up with a few. Uh, I've, I've broken down what I believe about shaping a child's life in several increments here. And one is we need spiritual principles. And one of the qualifications for me in that having a bachelor's degree be very important. I have a bachelor's degree in the spiritual principles. Back again to church. I've been back again to church since I was about three weeks old. And I also, uh, based on one of the brothers in our church, I actually have a PhD. Some of you, and that, that's where the life principles come in. Uh, the PhD and the life principles. Our brother Mark Rhodes, some of you know, calls it a post-hole digger. More importantly than that, having walked with the Lord for years, raised your own family, and invested in others, and have a lot of people investing in me and our family, I found out that it's very difficult to raise a family by yourself. We are part of a community, and at the same time, sometimes the community becomes part of the problem. I'm trying to understand how to divide that has been a little complex for me. Just looking at some of the things that the Lord has been doing in, in our lives, uh, we have this little restaurant in Amherst. Um, A while back, somebody stopped at the restaurant and said, So, Freeman, one of your daughters attends Amherst Middle School. And I looked a little blank and said, We homeschool. And he said, Well, I talked with this young lady that said her dad owns the restaurant. And having several local girls who have my name as daddy in their phones because they don't have a dad. having pursued some of these principles to try to help my own children, and then finding out that there's actually some basic biblical principles here that actually work for children. Like, you don't have to be a miller for this to work. You don't have to be a Mennonite for this to work. But there's basic principles that I believe go into shaping our children. 
I'm not going to be reading a lot of the familiar verses about child training, about the father's responsibility. I'm assuming most of you here understand that God has given the fathers and the mothers, but the father's responsibility to guide their children. Uh, what I would like to do is shift away from that a little bit. I mean, having grown up in um, environments that have been very heavy on teaching the Bible, but then also watching amongst the Anabaptists, as a lot of the Anabaptist churches, including what would be considered the remnant charity churches, which is what we've been a part of for uh, almost 20 years now, having watched some of the changes that came into that, having gone to a wedding just several weeks ago, And the groom and the, and the bride had at one point believed, like we do, and like you do, been in functional families, and over the last several years, both of their families fell apart. One dad's in prison for molesting his girls. The other home just fell apart for various reasons. And at that wedding, I don't think I've ever been to a sort of Anabaptist wedding that had so many ex-Anabaptists at the wedding. A lot of young people, a lot of married, and just having watched the devastation that went across some of the Anabaptist circles, some of the families whose fathers were mentors of us and having watched them completely fragmented. When I talk about fragmenting, I'm not talking about just dressing a little world. I'm talking about girls that are in alcohol and drugs and getting raped on the streets. And these are families who went to church just like you did this morning. Families that we've been in their homes. And they spent time in our homes. Some of these families were some of the most spiritual, godly, happy families that you could ever care to meet. And I thought, ask the Lord, what is going on here? What are we missing? So what I'd like to do tonight, I'd like to read several verses. And I want to read verses more about our relationship with Christ and about child training. But if you think about it, from the time your baby is born, and very possibly before, you are teaching him or her about Jesus. A child does not form its image of Jesus just out of a vacuum. Now, we all believe, some of you were here when Jim Croft shared his testimony over Little Church House, maybe two years ago. We all believe that God's grace can pull someone out of the most wicked environment and can save him completely and clean him up. We understand that. I'm not negating the grace of God, but it does seem like how we shape our children does impact how they turn out. And the reason I believe that is because otherwise the grace of God is very geographically challenged. Which means the inner cities, for example, don't see much of the grace of God. Good solid homes see a lot of it. So that tells me a child's environment does have something to do with how it turns out. I do feel a little handicapped. I see this mat. This mat's there for a reason. 
it can tell me not to walk around too much. <laughs> I'm used to the tall mic. I feel a little tied down tonight. It makes it a little uncomfortable, but I'll, I'll be okay. I'm sure Eric did that on purpose because he knows um, I needed that for y'all's comfort, right? Watching families that started out well that ended up losing their way. And some of these were not Anabaptist families that came in and they just weren't able to integrate into the culture. Some were Amish families that came out of the Amish, came to the Lord Jesus Christ in a beautiful way. Uh, some were from Beachy Mennonite churches. It's like it wasn't just one background that was struggling, but across the board. And now more recently, the Anabaptist churches uh, I, mean, I don't know what about you personally, but I know amongst the beach churches, amongst our group of churches, the liberalness that has come in in the last 10 years is just catching everybody by surprise. And then some of the lifestyle choices that seem to come with that. And, and I keep asking the Lord, is it possible to have a Christ-honoring biblical home that you can actually pass your beliefs on to your children, teaching them not only how to live, but how to do church. Is it possible to work together as a brotherhood? Some of y'all know our church had its own meltdown back in maybe 2010, 11, sometime in there. And somehow I believe that if we understand what shapes the child, we will also understand how to help some of the ones from tragic homes and maybe even understand more about how to work together as a church. If you sit into a given brothers meeting, I don't know how y'all do it here, but let's say you're part of a fellowship that all the brothers sit together on occasion and they discuss things. After several meetings, you could pretty well tell how a certain individual was raised and how they guide their own family. And he was dear Freeman, that, that doesn't make sense. Well, the Apostle Paul thought it made sense. The Apostle Paul said that a man a man's household needs to be in order because how can he guide the church of God if he doesn't know how to guide his own family? So what that tells me is the way the family is, the way the church is, and the way the church is does represent something about how our family is. Now where it gets more complicated, your children, you do have more I'm gonna say more you dictate more over your children than you do your church. I dare say, Brother Leon, you had more guidance in the children while they were 18 years old and younger than some of the brothers that have attended here over the years. <laughs> and so once you have individual homes that are independent homes, in a healthy way even, and they're finding their own way in a sense, it's like it takes you to a completely new level, even if it's still applies. So, for starting when your children are little, I want to read some scriptures. And to be thinking about the fact that you are influenced and shaping what your children believe about Jesus. Take scriptures like Ephesians 3, verse 16, starting at 16. This is Paul's prayer, and it's Paul's prayer for your children, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and imagine a five-year-old understanding Jesus. He can't explain it. He doesn't have to explain it. But when he thinks about Jesus, he thinks about complete safety, complete love, 
And I'll draw you a diagram to show what determines what that child believes about Jesus. And you may be able to comprehend with all the things, which is the flight of the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ as passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And here's what I found interesting. Once I figured out I knew how to raise my own family, and I, did, I had to, in a sense, have the Lord redraw the blueprint, and then finding out that it is possible to take someone else. You have to understand that taking someone from a sort of Christian home that has fallen apart creates children more disillusioned than someone that has never pretended to be a Christian. And think about this. When our church had its meltdown, we had brothers that responded the same way. As if a home goes through a divorce. And I know y'all know that. But as I started watching all that and thinking about trying to raise a family while we don't know how to do church and realizing we can't separate the people. We who believe in local bodies, we believe in working together, forget sometimes what we're actually teaching our children by default. That the tension in the church bleeds into the home. And the youngsters grow up for some reason not having an interest in part of a church. And we can't figure out why. And I'm not stereotyping this because my teacher situations are different. Sometimes situations are very different, but there's still some basic principles that follow through here. And so you take a child that has grown up in a home, let's say they're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, and Jesus was lifted up, and then mom and dad fell apart, there was whatever tragedy happened in the home, that child's view of Jesus is completely shattered, twisted, and skewed. Here's the amazing thing. You can bring that child into a circle that explains Jesus by how they live. And it can reshape that child's view of God. What your child believes about the verses I just read has more to do with you than about these verses. Let me stop with this. I thought it was close enough that your restraining system here uh, won't bother us. Can, can y'all hear me this way or do I need to hold the mic? I don't do good holding mics either. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And I'd like to have you, even if it's a simple question or a no-brainer answer anyway. Uh, do we believe that how we shape our children when they're young makes the difference of what they believe when they're adults? What do you think? Does it make a difference or is it just strictly up for grabs? Do you think it makes a difference? Some fathers believe about child training kind of the way we believe about deer hunting. I don't know whether you guys are hunting community, but up in our area, uh, we are. So let's say you're sitting in your tree stand and you've done all your homework, you've done the scouting and all of that, but you know there's more than one deer trail coming, up, coming down that ridge. 
and you're sitting on your tree stand, and you see this deer coming along the top of the ridge. And I've always said, hunters are some of the most desperate prayer warriors that you ever find. Well, I'm starting to believe fathers actually outdo hunters. But even unbelieving hunters start praying when they see a big buck coming across the ridge. Because, I mean, they may be as accurate with their archery equipment as can be, but they don't know which trail that deer is going to take. And so they're sitting there desperately praying that this will be their lucky day and that that deer will take a trail that comes down to their tree stand. And as they watch the deer walking along, they see it move, turn just a little towards them, and their heart just leaps up within them. And then it, it turns and starts walking south of the ridge, the heart sinks. And maybe if he goes across the ridge, and then they hear some leaves crunching again, and it's turned up, it's coming back across the ridge, and they're just like holding their breath. And the adrenaline is just sky high. And sometimes, sure enough, it actually comes by their tree stand where they can take a shot. But, as often as not, for whatever reason, maybe something spooks it, maybe the deer just takes the wrong trail. And as he's disappearing, the hunter sits there and just, oh my goodness. And it's like he's just like almost deflated. Because it was so close, but so far away. A lot of fathers think about their children that way. It's like it's almost like playing the lottery. I just had someone tell me the other day. Uh, I, I asked him, and it was a unique, I mean, a specific situation. I asked him, I said, so are you connecting well with your four-year-old? He said, I think so. But he said, good homes turn out bad children. Sometimes bad homes turn out good children. He said, it just and he does. But I'm not sure if he needs to. This is a question that God alone can answer. How much do we have to do? How much, how much is it up to the parents of who their children become? I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, not just a concrete answer. But I will tell you this. One of the qualifications of a leader is that he would do what I would call reasonably well in guiding his family. Which means God is expecting at least the ordained leaders to be able to guide their families in a reasonably stable way. Otherwise, I don't think God gives the qualification that is as... And it's not like God says, an elder needs to have all the deer come by his tree stand. And if they don't, he's not qualified. Paul says that there's a connection there. And again, this isn't about perfection, but there is something about direction. And what that tells us is that what, what's expected of an elder is possible for all of us. It's possible for all of us. I'll start with a small circle. I'm writing in here. Our belief of Jesus, or you could say the living Jesus, more accurately, what you believe about Jesus, I'm putting in the very center of the circle. 
And in where I came up with the diagram, over the years, I've often said, talked about a wheel. Like if, let's say, you wanted to leave your grandson at our house for a week. And I said, well, if he's going to be part of the wheel, we'll crank him along with everybody else. At the end of the week, you can pick him up again. And finally, um, Jim Cross, he said, Freeman, you keep talking about this wheel. What do you mean by this? So I started asking the Lord, Lord, show me what I mean by this. And I was driving to my office one day, uh, several years ago, and the Lord gave me a picture that was so clear. The Lord gave me a picture that was so clear. I sat down at my desk, and in about 20 minutes' time, I drew out what I had believed for years and couldn't put into words. And I'm sure there's a book out somewhere with the same diagram that I haven't found. But anyway, this by kind of by trial and error and watching the cause and effect, because I'm a big believer on cause and effect. What you plant is what's going to grow. And if that's actually true, in fact, Paul says uh, probably twice, and it's the Old Testament as well, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Or in other words, God is not going to change the normal way that he functions and the cause and effect will happen. Well, that tells me there's something to that. What you plant is what grows. And how you take care of that plant has, makes a difference of how it turns out. So in the very center of the circle, we have our belief about Jesus. Now, I have a question for you. In this next circle, I'm going to draw the two circles right away. One of these circles, I'm going to put in spiritual principles, which means teaching about God, learning Bible verses, uh, the value of going to church, Christian friends. In the other circle, I'm going to put in what I call life principles, which is cheerful obedience, simple obedience, hard work, getting up when your alarm rings, uh, all those good things that... Uh, are very important to a child's life. Here's the question I have for you. Which one do you believe impacts the child the most? Because the one that impacts it the most, I'm going to put in here first. Actually, I'm going to have to do this. Here's mom and dad. Let me do this. Now we have our belief system, mom and dad's belief system, filtering through mom and dad. Which one is going to be the most impacting next, the life principles or the spiritual principles? This isn't a trick question. I'm sure there's uh, different views on it. But just what, what, what would you say if I would ask you which is most important for the little guys, six, seven, eight years old, life, practical principles, or the spiritual principles, which would you choose? What would you say? Well, you're one of the few I know here, so I'm going to pick on you. <laughs> what do you think, Rick? Life or spiritual? Okay. What about you, Naaman? Now that I know who you are. Let me tell you what brought this principle clear in my mind. We have families driving through some time. Beautiful families. Great uh, very nice uh, 
mom and dad, children, they come to our church just to, you know, be a blessing traveling in some other churches. And, and here's what I saw time after time. Not every time. It's not like all of it. But I saw often enough that I started thinking about this. This family, could be one of your families, would maybe they would, he, the dad would preach the message, and so, like all good preachers, oh, I'm not doing it tonight because we don't sing well. I mean, I don't sing well. They get their family up front and they sing a song. And you have all these little children up there singing songs just as sweet as could be. And I think, wow, that's what I want to have my family be. And I started thinking about how I could get them to sing and how I could get them to quote scriptures. And I mean, they look so nice. And then at the church, they'd be back getting their coats and their hats and stuff. And I'd see them kicking and pushing and fussing and talking back to mom and dad. And I said, I just saw them on the platform, and now they're back there acting like heathen. And as I watched that over the years, I started seeing a pattern. And it's almost as if, please, I'm going to qualify this, but the more they focused on spiritual, the more they reacted to it when they got older. And this is my conclusion. You're right, Mark. I will talk life principles. I'm going to ask you a question. Here's the important question. Let's say you have a home that is very sad. The family devotions every morning, their children memorizing verses, and in this case, they go to a Christian school, they go to church every Sunday. Even if it snows, you're probably the only one that goes to church because you've got to go to church on Sunday. And you've got all of this down the way you need to have it down. But the dad has a real anger problem. And he's hollering at the children who are late for getting ready for church. And he's screaming at his wife because she's going there breaking up the dishes when she should be out in the car. And there's so much tension. And the children finally pile in the car, holding their breath, hoping that daddy's temper won't explode on the way to church. They get out of the vehicle, plow in the most beautiful family you've ever seen. And they sit just as still as you guys are sitting up front. And everybody knows dollar model yoga. We can see that. And they sit there that entire service, dreading Sunday lunch because dad's going to get on them for something. What is really shaping those children's view of Jesus? Is it the Bible verses? Is it him reading that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith? And they're thinking, if that's what Christ is, I want nothing to do with him? We can incrementally bring that closer to home. Our children are learning who Jesus is by the way we live, not by the words we say. Do 
you can have a child that you allow him to talk back to you, and he doesn't follow through on his chores, but he quotes a lot of memory verses, probably by the time he's 25 years old, you don't want him in your brother's meeting. It's way too predictable for me to believe there's not something to that. Teaching your children obedience, teaching them cheerful obedience, not letting them whine, not letting them talk back, but doing it in a way that brings them to a point of joyfully following what their mom and dad are calling them to do. Remember, they relate to, in some ways, you are representing God to them. And you need to represent God accurately. Let's say a child disobeys and you become disapproving and crushing. They believe God is disapproving and crushing. And imagine that child growing up trying desperately to live good enough that God will love them enough so that they can go to heaven instead of hell. And what happens at some point, that child figures out, once they're old enough to understand their, figure out their own theology, that child will come to the conclusion that God is the God of love and I can do whatever I want to, and God loves me anyway, or they will completely walk away from God and believe God doesn't even exist. But a lot of that is shaped right here. There's a lot of different aspects here. Each pie shape could be an aspect of life. Maybe one has something to do with your job. Maybe the other one's vacation. Maybe the other one's what you do evening. Uh, one may be church. There's each aspect has a lot to do with um, if, you, if you divide your life into pie shapes, what I want to demonstrate is they all stem from what you really believe about Jesus. So here we have we have a belief system whether it's right or wrong. We have mom and dad. The belief system flows through mom and dad because that's who your children are being impacted by. We have the training tools that we use. And if the Lord gives the opportunity to come back another time, which may be July, then I want to talk about more of the practical things about training your children. And, by the, and so at some point, we, we're radiating what we believe. By the way, mom and dad live through the basic training or lack of training. And then we come out to the spiritual principles. And then out here, let's say out here, you have your child. You have a different car and walk around that. Obviously, it's just a different So, here you have a child. Look at all these things that filter through what you believe you're teaching your child. And so you believe you're teaching your child about Jesus and forget the fact that there's a filter between what you believe in your child. And what the child picks up is how well it's lived out through them. Not what you think you believe down here. Now, I want to qualify this. During the time that we... I was damaging our oldest son by not understanding how to care for him and guide him emotionally. He was a very emotional person. I loved Jesus with a passion. 
And the more I love Jesus, the less intimacy I need. And so, just because the child is confused does not mean that you don't genuinely love Jesus. It means that the filtering system that is put in place, all of us have it in place, if nobody falls, the filtering system that's in place is bringing a different, a skewed word message from what we really believe in here. Now, on the other hand, maybe deep in here, we have a false sense of who God is. Maybe we as parents feel under condemnation. That's very possible. Maybe we don't understand the love of God and the obedience of God and how the two can be one and the same. <laughs> you don't have to be an angry father for your children to end up disconnected. If there are inconsistencies, one of the things in the... Um, I don't know you folks, so I'm just speaking from my heart. There's been a lot of good things out there that were taught by the Gothard system. Bill Gothard, I don't know if you're familiar with Bill Gothard. A lot of the charity churches have had a strong influence from the Gothard teaching. One of the negatives that came from that, the Gothard system, if you see, created a, almost the, um, what do you call it, patriarchal, to where the father rules the home. One of the negatives that is, is it allowed the father to trap the wife and children inside here because the spiritual principles that they believed in were so, they were so strong that anybody, if there was a home that was in trouble, the children were trapped. And I know in some of the ones that came in from those circles, one of the reasons the tragedies were so great is because there was deception and a facade. And in their effort to live godly, they got it right on the outside, but never understood it on the inside. Does that make sense? And so because of that, maybe there was a mom and dad that were headed for divorce, but they still looked exactly like you do on Sunday morning. They could still sing, they could still pray. I have a number of friends that went through that, and families are completely shattered today. This is really personal with me. It, it grips my heart. The way depression is sweeping across our young people today. I called a friend of mine not so long ago. And I could tell she was crying. A teenager. And due to her helplessness and depression, she said she had just finished cutting herself to create pain to try to deal with the emotional pain. And when I called, she was just ready to go get a gift rag to clean up the blood. This is real. I talked with many white black teenagers. She comes from a home that had a strong facade for years. 
nobody believes the children. The wife is afraid to talk because Christian wives submit to their husbands. The point for the moment is that what your children believe about the spiritual principle is based on how well it's lived out. So let's say you have a love of Jesus that's accurate enough. Here's one thing I've said already. The way you explain Jesus by your life doesn't have to be perfect by the stretch of imagination, but it needs to be. It, what you're explaining needs to look enough like Jesus that your children can recognize it. <laughs> when they're reading their Bible, you listen to preachers at church that they say, that's like my mom and daddy. Then when you talk about Jesus, they'll make the connection. But let's say when they're hearing about Jesus, and then they're relating to the mom and dad, and it's a difference in two grades, which life principles have a lot to do with that. If the difference is too great, they say, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. I mean, I've talked with a number of customers that have come through completely disillusioned with Christianity. I remember one man, he was about in his mid-50s, he was a professor that was emotionally losing his way. He had taught in colleges for years. And he got into an argument with my son about Christianity, and I walked over, got in a conversation with him. And he said, Freeman, the Jesus in the Bible is not the Jesus of Christianity. I just started crying. Told him I know that. But I said, the basic Christianity Jesus is not the one I believe in. I believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And he was walking at the time. Came by three different times. And I still remember the last time I talked with him before he disappeared. I don't know what happened to him. Another little thing I remember about him, we, were, we had a piano in the restaurant, the ice cream parlor, when we were still in our previous location. And some traveler, uh, no idea what denomination she was, but some traveler from out west was sitting at the piano singing a song. And this man, who we had talked like probably three times by now, didn't believe God existed anymore. This lady was playing the piano and singing a gospel hymn. He was standing beside her with a shoebox, singing his heart out about Jesus. And I remember afterwards sitting down with him there in our little restaurant at a table. And he reached across the table and just clinging to my hand, tears just screaming at me. And he said, Freeman, thank you for showing me who Jesus is. And then he made some comments and said, you're not even trying to save me. He had so many people trying to convince him that Jesus is real that I opted not to do that. How we live is the loudest message that anybody is going to get. Specifically about children. So here's a child. So let's say you have 
more than one child. So now we have We have several children. We also know that as a child is young, I would dare say Eric and Joanne. I'm sure you have a little angel. <laughs> Probably one of the best youngsters around. But I dare say you don't trust him enough to let him play in the ditch beside the road unsupervised for long periods of time. Don't you think that's a little controlling of parents? I mean, why would you not trust your son? He's lived with him for two years, which should be long enough for anybody to catch on right from wrong. But Eric and Joanne, being really strict parents, they likely would not allow their child to make that personal choice. But they're going to determine what that child does. Now, once he's 8, 10, 12, 15, when it comes to things like road traffic, you may let him go farther and farther from your site. And so, if we can think of it this way, the younger the child, the closer he needs to be to where we can monitor what happens. Because if we believe, here's an, this is the important point, if we believe that children are shaped by their environment, their belief about Jesus is determined by what impacts them, Anything within their circle has to reasonably explain Jesus. So, let's say Eric and Joanne take their wonderful youngster to Walmart. There's a lot of things at Walmart that don't explain Jesus very well. Here's what happens. If they hold his hands, keep them close, this is all he feels. All those other things that may be going on at Walmart don't make him any difference because he's within the circle of his mom and dad. As he gets older, how far out here that we allow them to go is determined by their maturity level more than their biological age. We tend to let the biological age determine how far we trust our children when they do sleep over at someone's house. How close we supervise them after church. What they do on the school playground, when they get their driver's license, when they get their cell phone, is typically determined more by the biological age than their emotional maturity or how closely they're tied into the life and spiritual principles that a good home is teaching them. I'm here to suggest that if you want your children to turn out to love Jesus the way you're teaching, and let's say this is in a good situation, to where you honestly understand Jesus well enough that your children understand it. Because there's a lot of Christians that do understand Jesus in meaningful ways. So what, I get conversations like this in a restaurant all the time with our local family. And they shake their heads in despair about the public school. But they don't do anything about it. They just pray like a father in the tree stand that their son or daughter at the public school will find good friends and not bad friends. They choose to sport. Some sports have a higher quality friends than other sports. 
So they choose the sports based on what they believe their child might need, but they do not provide the environment that they believe the child needs. Did you know Mennonites can do the same thing? Noahs can do the same thing? We believe church and school are safe. Let me ask you something. Are our churches and schools predictably turning out very consistently stable, Christ-honoring boys and girls that biblically believe like we as our parents, we as parents have believed? I'm going to say, this isn't about whether you should homeschool or have a church school. It's about whether you should monitor the influence of your children. And if there's anything, it's about shaping your child. A two-year-old can go to Walmart without being negatively shaped. But if they would let him run loose at Walmart every time they go, and he'd get into the toy department, the game department, the movie department, he would start being negatively shaped the life and spiritual principles have to be taught consistently for him to be able to handle going into a dangerous environment. And the more stable the child comes, the farther away from you he can be. And so, frankly, let's say there's an 18-year-old who comes from a very tragic home that doesn't have anything to do with life, and if you want to help that child stabilize in consistent ways, you need to bring him in to the closest level possible because he has no knowledge of right from wrong. We've had a number of teenagers come into our home and you just expect that they're going to be dishonest, that they're hiding things, that they're going to lie to you, that they're hidden things, maybe even it could be anything from depression to immorality to whatever. That's, that's why... In, in a home that is falling apart, that's what we expect. We need to be able to tell how our children are doing so that we can monitor them accurately while they're growing up so that if we have a child in a home, like I said about our older son that's struggling, we pick it up while they're still young enough that we can reshape, that God's grace can come in and reshape the belief system in that child. Um, and, and I want to tell you, too, this is not about Christianized secular psychology. Uh, frankly, I'm not into the Christianized secular psychology. I know the Anabaptist world is really picking that up in a lot of ways. Uh, I differ with it for a lot of reasons. I get pegged for being a liberal psychologist simply because I explain how it works instead of just saying how it works. Me drawing a diagram puts me in a different category than if I didn't draw the diagram. But I'd like to submit to you that the diagram just shows you what I'm saying instead of changing what I'm saying. And that these are some basic biblical principles. The Apostle Paul said we need to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke them to anger. It's like there are clear principles there of how to work with our children. And if we see them responding differently, we need to make the changes in time so that the shaping does not become negative. Does that make sense? These children are being shaped. They're being turned into something. 
And I know each child has to make his own choices. And sometimes children brought through proper training still, as adults, make choices that are anti the Bible or anti Jesus. I understand that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the confusion that comes through a lot of our children. And by the time they're teenagers or very young married, they have very little concept of a lot of the life principles or even spiritual teachings of the Word of God. Um, and that's why we have children that leave our churches, go into more mainstream, don't understand the churches, and then our grandchildren are growing up being introduced to the drugs, the alcohol, the immorality that's out there. And it's like if once they get out to that point, it often happens very quickly. But this tells you why it's happening. Uh, where communities do well is, I mean, peer pressure itself is not a negative thing. And if we all become like each other, and if the basic ones are values, then it turns out well. We reproduce what everybody else has, and if that's good, then that's good. But if there are troubled spots, troubled spots tend to gravitate together, and they feed each other, and you have the little groups, you have the little hangouts, you do the sleepovers, do the camping trips, do the youth rallies, the troubled spots hang together, and pretty soon you'll start seeing patterns of what's happening with that. And that's why, just speaking for our home, we've opted not to do some of that, to where our family, while they're still being shaped, do not go places that I don't know fairly certainly what the shape is going to be. And will whatever's happening there, if there's negative going on there, will the negative be, will it overwhelm their sense of balance, so to speak? Like, have they grown to the point that they can handle it? So just like a two-year-old isn't allowed to play on the road, a 15-year-old, should not be going to a situation that has more confusion, spiritual confusion, than what he can force with. And with the mentality that about the past few years, that we send our children to the Bible schools and the youth groups and the after church stuff and all of that, that works only as good as the people that are there. What happens is the parents lose control of it. And then they become like the ones around them. So you have to make sure the ones around them are okay if that's, the, if that's the message you want to use. You can send your children out if they're mature enough and stable enough. But if you send them out farther than their maturity level, because the farther they go, the less influence you have on them unless they've been trained and personally gained conviction of what you believe in here. But once your child has your conviction, they can go to the ends of the earth. Which is, at that point, is when we send them out as missionaries or uh, whatever you do when they're not with mom and dad. But I've, I've often seen that there's a lot, of, a lot of things out here that are impacting our children in negative ways. We're still trying to teach and train them properly and don't realize that there's other forces out here that have a greater influence than what I do as a father. And we, we don't we don't catch it in time that they're actually being shaped into something different. Maybe a different theology, maybe a different what I would just call the practical lifestyle of what we believe, things about modesty, about non resistance, what we believe about the government, the military. Lots of Anabaptist children are becoming very patriotic. You take Anabaptist children, and I'm sure I'm stepping on some toes. I'm stepping on toes in my congregation as well. 
bring the blue angels around, like I'm in Anabaptist, and if you huddle underneath your watch those fighter jets, and I'm going to tell you something. The purpose of those jets, it is the best recruiting tool that this nation can come up with. And they send the blue angels around to stir the hearts of your little ones to encourage them to join the military. I'm not making that up. It's a recruiting tool. I don't mind if you go to see the Blue Angels, but I just want you to know this. Unless your pool is stronger than the Blue Angels, you've just increased drastically the chances of you losing your children. That's just an example of how it works. It could be hunting, it could be fishing, it could be work, it could be sports, it could be skiing, snowboarding, doesn't matter what it is. It could be doing a sleepover with a church family, it could be hanging out with a preacher's family. Like this, these concepts, the principles are the same every time. Here's a story how we spoke I do family, I'm, I'm big on community. I love spending time with church families and other families that are traveling through. Our house has been a bit of a traffic circle for many years. I'm supposed to be a preacher, so I'm spiritual, right? We're sitting in the living room with several other spiritual men having good spiritual conversations, and our children are playing unsupervised outside. And at that point, I'm starting to understand this. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what shaking is going on out there. Maybe I should say, I do know some of the shaking that's going on out there. And I say to the father, why don't we step out in the yard where we can watch the children? They are too spiritual. And I don't mean that critically. I just mean it honestly. They are too spiritual to do that. And they're talking about prayer. They're talking about Jesus. And their faces are lighting up. And they're talking about the Holy Ghost coming down in power. I'm just going to pull a random Sunday afternoon with two particular fathers. The one father has lost every one of his eight children to the devil. It's three. The other one has a son that's gay. And I'm not knocking gay people. I'm just saying that the son got confused because of a bunch of stuff that was going on. And his children are scattered in all various walks of life. And both of these men continued their spiritual, enlightening conversation while I went out by myself to play with the children. I no longer pull any punches when it comes to things like that. Ask the young people that live with us, and they'll tell you that I don't. If someone's in my home that I'm responsible for, I have to know what's shaking that child. I don't care if it's my child or your child if I'm responsible for. And it doesn't make any difference are the things out here is it from my brother's family or Leon's family 
I have to know what's happening. Now, some men you trust because you know them and know their families. Others you don't know. But either way, your children almost always become what they're shaped into being. Does that make sense? They almost always become what their environment shapes them into. I want to start landing with this. One of the pitfalls of this, back to, and again, this isn't about the Gothard teaching. Or it's not about the charity churches, even if I think some of us have done a better job of doing it poorly than others. Creating a facade. Looking happy in church when you're not happy at home will destroy your children. I'm going to tell you a little story. I was preaching at the Beach Church some years ago when my wife was from in Kansas. And I poured my heart out about fathers relating to their children. And I'm telling this story to know that I really want to be sensitive, knowing we struggled with ours, and some of you I know have struggled with yours. And I don't want to bring condemnation in any way. But neither do I want to back down on what we as young families can do to bring some changes in that we do not have to continue for continue to But I, as a young preacher, I didn't have this little map, so I didn't have to hold still. I poured my heart out for about an hour, which is way too long for them to sit, but I did it anyway. And the bishop that had been there for years was sitting on the bench right behind me, because in that church he had a preacher's bench, which was uncomfortable for me, but I sat on it until he let me get up to preach. And when I was done, I turned around, and he got up, threw his arms around me, and just wept his face. And it was only then that I remembered that he lost most of his children. He had one of his daughters raised in college several times. And I realized that could have really hurt someone that tried so hard and failed so miserably. But I'll never forget what he told me. He probably held me for a full minute. Remember, this is a beachy, formal beachy church. And we're on the platform in front of everybody. He probably held me for a full minute this weekend. And he said, for me, Never stop preaching that. Said our young families need to understand it. And I didn't draw the diagram at that point. The Lord hadn't given it to me yet. It's never too late for a child that's still living to come back to the Lord. You find yourself with grandparents who struggle with children. You grandparents 
have a lot to do with what the children believe about Jesus. Never underestimate the value of a quality example. I'm not talking about an example such as, and I knew when I saw Eric when I walked in, I should have worn my uh, high-class shoes and I didn't. I'm not talking about examples like that. Even if there's value in dressing right, living right, driving right, eating right, doing right. I'm talking about the spirit that they sense flowing out of Grandpa's heart. Some friends of mine, about 10 years ago, their children joined a church similar to ours, and the parents were devastated. The dad came from a very conservative church. Here's what the dad told me. He said, I will not allow my grandchildren back into my house, and I do not go visit them, because I want them to know where the line is on holiness. I put my hand on that dear brother's shoulder with tears in my eyes. While his wife is And I said, Brother, I'm going to suggest your children will believe in your Jesus more if you go visit them and love them than if you draw a hard line when they're actually living almost the same as you are. And he said, Freeman, I disagree. That's okay if you disagree. I'm not here to change his mind. All I'm saying is, what we believe about Jesus significantly impacts our children and our grandchildren. If you find yourself not able to live Jesus accurately enough to explain it to your children, I want to beg you to do something about it. I want to beg you not to believe it will just go away by itself. I've watched too many good homes be blown to smithereens, totally unexpectedly from the outside, but on the inside, those children that have been talking for a long time. We as churches need to be there for each other. Maybe there's a dad that feels completely trapped. Maybe there's some sin that's binding him or he's struggling with. Maybe there's a mom that's dealing with control, whatever the issue is. Let's not believe that it's okay. Are we willing? We say we believe the Bible. We live very weird lives according to society because of the Bible. Let me ask you something. Are we willing to allow the Bible, to allow the grace of God and the real living Jesus transform us? To where when we talk about Jesus, our children like to hear us instead of walking away because they're disgusted. That's why brotherhood, that's why churches are so important. The New Testament was written in the concept of the local body. So I'm part of a local body. I'm probably a house structure by nature. Some of y'all are too, so don't, don't, don't point fingers at me. But the New Testament is in the context of the local body. So I believe in local bodies. Let me real quickly take this a step farther. Let's say instead of mom and dad, we have church leaders. 
And instead of children, we have individual families out here. And this is what makes up the local body. What I'm concluding is the same concept works all the way through to the fringes of the church, just like they do a family. So if there's a family that's struggling, they, they're brought in closer, and the poor ones are given more responsibility. What the leaders believe about Jesus radiates through here. And these families, in some ways, are significantly impacted by what the spiritual leader, and it's not just your day, it's what, what shapes the church is way more than just your day leaders. I wish, Leon, that the bishops, I wish a bishop's job in life could determine what everybody in the church is going to believe. Where it becomes more complicated, each of these circles has one of these within. Does that make sense? Each of these circles is doing it all over again. Are you with me in that? So we've got all of these circles living just that. And so then you've got like 10 or 12 or 20 or 30 of these circles. It reminds me what Ezekiel said, a wheel within a wheel or something else. You know, I get confused when I start thinking about all of that. But once I start realizing what the local body actually does, this is the way Paul describes the local body. Paul goes to his churches and says that you should know Jesus by how he's loved. Paul had to teach them about Jesus, but the living, he said in one place, that even if they wouldn't have taught, the living would have explained Jesus to them. He tells the one little congregation that everybody, all the churches around, are seeing who God is, because of your generosity and how you love one another. It's all over the New Testament. And once you have this concept, so let's say you have a child. This, if this child from four, five, six years old understands the value of being connected, understands that Jesus is a real, living, wonderful Savior, I don't believe in child evangelism. That's what I believe. But the belief system is shaped where the child believes it's a safe, warm place to be, and that he believes mom and daddy are actually bringing something safe and stable to him. And by the time the child gets older, by then they're making their own, own decisions, same convictions in a lot of ways, own decisions. That child gets married and starts his own circle. Guess what? By then they know how to do it. Because they were grown, they grew up with that. And so if there, let's say there's an 18-year-old out here, that is going through a hard time. That's when this really comes into play. Sure, we need to bring in boundaries and, um, and safety sometimes, but the redemptive love of Jesus relating to your older children is so powerful. Can we sit down and talk about what's going on? Do we keep up with them on a weekly, monthly? I'm not talking about formal necessarily, but do we relate with the hearts of our children enough? That when they do hit hard times, which they will, this is where they go for safety. That's who they want to talk with. Typically, a struggling child connects with his peers, and you have 15, 18, 20-year-olds that are becoming the professional counselors in your child's life. Your child's peers through social media probably impact them way more when they're struggling than you as a mom and dad ever do. Which is the very reason 
our children are not being chased by the social media like some, because I disagree with that concept. But unless you put steps in place to make sure that's there, then that chasing won't happen. So you have a child that grows up understanding this, and then he becomes one of these circles. <laughs> he already knows how to relate to the spiritual leaders of the church and after the brothers and sisters of the church. Because he was born, he was born in a home that lived it out. And when they did run into difficulties, and someone made a mistake, mom and dad made a mistake, he understands forgiveness, he understands apologies, because mom and dad are transparent enough to be honest about when they make a mistake. The church leaders are transparent enough to be honest when they make a mistake. And all of a sudden, you figure out why it's called the family of God. It's the same thing on a larger scale. And then if this guy, let's say, here's a disgruntled something, here's a disgruntled something, here's a disgruntled something, it's like having a children full of rebellious teenagers. We're no longer on the same team. Somehow we have to get on the same team. One of the things we did in recovery from our meltdown in the more recent years, as the Lord was working in my heart and some of our others, we came to the point that we decided unresolved conflict does not have place in our church. And we're not living it out perfectly, but we're living it out desperately. And we are starting to believe that honesty, transparency, dealing with bitterness, is huge in whether a church is going to survive or not. And it's like the level of quality the level of accurately portraying Jesus is going to be based on the same concepts that we live in a family or lived out in a church. And what, what we've found, we need to start holding each other responsible for the real things, such as gossip and slander and bitterness. Let's become harder on those like we are in our homes, be harder on the attitudes than we are the exact application. And when we bring someone into our home, whether it's biological or whether we find somebody, the same process starts all over again. doesn't matter if the child's 12, 15, or 20. That process has to start for them to learn the principles that God has established. And if the child actually learns that, they've got a good chance of being part of a local body in a redemptive way. And the child is learning how to become a leader because he's watched his mom and dad provide leadership in real servant leadership that creates the boundaries and the guidance that every child needs. I'm going to open it up for a question. I know I've talked a lot, and I'm a little scattered. Um, is there anything that should be, maybe it's a question, is there anything that should be qualified, or maybe I said something I didn't realize I said, and I came out wrong. Um, Ben or my family, if y'all have any comments as well. What I want to leave with you tonight is this. Your children are not who they are by default. Does that make sense? Our children are not who they are by default. I remember our 15-year-old reacting to his younger brothers. And my wife saying, Freeman, 
exacting exactly like you do when you're frustrated. He did not get to that point by default. Somebody trained him, shaped him, or allowed him. Remember, we're born selfish. We're born selfish. And that has to change. We have to teach them how to live. And then when they get to the age of accountability, they can automatically open their heart. And the grace of God will give them a new heart. And then you walk with them as believers, even if you still guide them uh, carefully. Teach your children about who Jesus is, not just the legalistic side of living. There is therefore now no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus who walk in after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And again, for next time, when your child messes up, when they do something completely off the wall or completely out of line, there is no condemnation to our children. Correction, yes. Training, yes. Punishment sometimes. But they never lose that love relationship with their parents. They never question. We never question whether God loves us if we have an accurate understanding of God. It's not about performance. God is who God is. My performance doesn't make him love me more or less. Children grow up understanding that and being guided that they can make good, solid choices and hopefully open their hearts to Jesus based on how Jesus has been taught to them.